As I said, we are continuing the exploration of the book of Mark, uh, one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. This evening we are starting a new section, as I said. Uh, it's a narrative section. Uh, it has some of the most well-known events in the Bible. Now, before we dig in, we dive in as it were, let us just remind ourselves where we are, because we are... Uh, this is, uh, I understand, the 36th sermon in Mark. So let us remind ourselves where we are. As I like to remind you, Mark is divided in those three parts. We need to keep those parts in perspective just to be clear where we are. Uh, Mark chapter 1 to verse 8 is the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. Very important. Mark chapter 8 to chapter 10 is the journey to Jerusalem. And Mark chapter 11 to chapter 16 is Jesus in Jerusalem. There we have the passion, isn't it? The resurrection, the death and resurrection of our Lord. Um, and, and that's what we have in Mark. Now, we are very much first in the first part of Mark. Uh, this is Jesus' ministry in the province of Galilee. Now, hopefully you know by now that Galilee, um, is a, at this time, is a densely populated area. It's one of the most densely populated areas in the world for its time. Around 15,000 people are living in this province, 50 by 25 miles area. And the key landmark in Galilee, which we have become used to, is the Sea of Galilee. And it is on the eastern, um, trying to get my east right, uh, on the eastern edge of, uh, of Galilee. Uh, it is a fresh lake, right? And it is surrounded by a number of towns that we have got to know. Uh, in the Bible, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and others. And Jesus is stationed in Capernaum, this fishing town. And we know that his, his headquarters, as it were, uh, is at Peter's house, Peter and Andrew's house in Capernaum. Now, in chapter 1, if you remember very well, for those who have been with us, that Jesus uh, is God coming to reign. That, that's very important we understand that. Because verse 14 and verse 15, Jesus announces the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Kairos moment has arrived. God is breaking in, as it were. Jesus is God coming to reign. That's how chapter 1 starts. And, and Jesus enters the scene there in, verse, in chapter 1. And he's going around preaching. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And we have seen in chapter 1, the kingdom of God begin well. His ministry, so to speak, growing, isn't it? Uh, he's already appointed the twelve. Uh, we see him do that. Uh, but at the same time, as the kingdom is, uh, as his work is growing, opposition to Jesus is also growing. So we've met the Pharisees. They are not happy with him. We, we know they are banding with the Herodians who, who are trying to take him down. Even Jesus' family are not impressed with Jesus. All these groups, even the crowd, they are all working against Jesus, even as they profit from him. But Jesus is refusing to be sidetracked. He's focusing on preaching the word of God. And in the last seven sermons in chapter 4, we have seen Jesus do that, preach using parables, word pictures. Well, this evening we are in verse 35. Jesus has finished teaching. And he's on the move again. And we are about to witness one of the most famous events. Now, those of you who have been here 
at the Bible study in Christianity Explode, you know we've already looked at this event. Um, but I want us to look at it again, because when you look at it, you may think, well, actually, we've started this. And we had 90 minutes, and another 90 minutes on a Friday, one on Thursday, one on Friday. So I'm very well aware that you know a number of you this text very well, and you'd have had loads of sermons at, at it. Well, I just want to challenge you today, as we go through Mark, I'm learning Mark afresh. I just want to challenge you that I think there are new things for you to see in this passage. I think there are some new things God wants to speak to us. As he's, as he's been teaching me every single verse in Mark, I'm learning new things. So, let's come to this. And particularly, let's keep our eyes to see how this passage points us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, turn with me to verse 35. And the first truth I want us to see here is simply this. Sometimes we fear for our lives. Sometimes we fear for our lives. So again, Jesus has had a full day of teaching. It is evening, and I imagine everyone with Jesus is exhausted after a long day. I know this for myself as a, as a preacher. At the end of two sermons, I'm tired. I can imagine Jesus continuously. It must be so tiring for him. And everyone with him must just want a nap. They just want to go to sleep. And you may feel like that this evening. You just want, you just want it now. So I understand that. Jesus understands that. Because he's feeling like that. Because Jesus says, let's get going. So let's read verse 35 to verse 36. On that day when Jesus, had, when evening had come, uh, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Another boat's were with him. So they are heading across the Sea of Galilee, right? They are jumping on the boat, getting on the boat, going across the Sea of Galilee. They are going towards the region of the Garrisons. Now, we're going to meet some interesting events in the region of Garrisons next Sunday. That's where they are going. But notice also something here. They are in a flotilla of boats. I just noticed that, that this is not one boat. That Jesus is in a boat, and there are other boats there with him. It's a flotilla. Because the crowd, I think, are also following. They've all jumped in the boat. Jesus can't get away from the crowd. They want more of him. So they've also jumped in their boats and they're probably following him. And it seems as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, he immediately falls asleep. He falls into what some people call the sleep of the innocent. Right? A deep and blissful sleep. He's so fast asleep here that what happens next totally passes him by. Let's read on verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat, the boat was already filling. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stand and asleep on the cushion. Let's just pause there in the middle of verse 37. And this great windstorm from nowhere now is now threatening to sink the boat that Jesus is in. The original word conveys here, as we noted during our Bible study, the original word conveys an hurricane type wind or a whirlwind that is trying to sink this boat where Jesus is. So Jesus and the disciples are in trouble. One minute they're okay, now death is knocking on the door. Right? Now, one of the most sobering events last year was the death of the billionaire owner of Leicester City. 
One minute he was watching a wonderful football game. He gets in his chopper and he's ready. The next minute we are seeing pictures on the news that is the, news, the, the, the thing has blown up, has crashed, etc. Not far from his fortunes. A billionaire just like that dies. This week we have been saddened to learn of a London pastor's wife who fell ill over Christmas and is currently in intensive care and we prayed for her this morning. And I can go on sharing other news that I've received from different people. One minute life was okay, then all of a sudden, boom, it changes completely. One minute your job is safe, next minute the, a, a new boss comes who did not know Joseph, so to speak. And in the next minute, you know, your job is in trouble. One minute your marriage looks like, a, like, a, like, a, like a, the most fantastic thing, you know, postcard type marriage. The next minute you find out that your husband perhaps has, been, has a secret addiction that is now threatening to sink your marriage. Life is fragile like that. None of us know when the next storm of life is going to hit us. None of us do. None of us know how 2019 is going to finish for us. Job 14, verse 1 to 2 says this. Man who is born of a woman, that's everyone, is full of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Why is life so fragile? Why are we hit by so many storms of life? Well, because even though God made us perfect, we rebelled against God. We live in a broken world. We are broken people living in a broken world. We are never far from sin, pain, and suffering. And I'm stating the obvious, but I'm stating the obvious for my benefit. Because I forget this. And if I knew this truth continuously, I knew the fragility of life, and I always remembered it, I think I would live so differently. And I'm partly stating it for you just to remind you the obvious. You need to remember this truth that life is fragile so that when trouble strikes you next, and it will, you don't react as the disciples do here. They panic. And see this, they become rude to Jesus. Look at verse 38. Let's read on verse 38. In the middle of verse 38, it says this, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples are afraid that they are going to die. So afraid of death that they are now questioning why Jesus is just sleeping there and doing zero. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The we, of course... Includes Jesus as well. It's in the book. If it perishes, it perishes. So it is not just that they feel Jesus doesn't care about them. They are now beginning to wonder in that middle of threat of death whether they are with the right guy. Is this guy even suicidal here? What's going on? They are not just trusting him. They are not only doubting his care, they are trusting his judgment. We should know that the disciples have received tremendous love and care from Jesus up to now. 
But here they are now questioning his love, his sanity, we might even say. These nobodies who have been plucked by Jesus from obscurity, former terrorists, former tax collectors, mere fishermen, nobody, even Judas with them, they are questioning the God of glory. They are questioning him. He's scared. But are we any different? Are you any different? The greater the problem you face in your life, the greater the temptation you have to question whether Jesus means well for your situation. You see, in, in times of suffering, we forget that being with Jesus is a privilege. So what happens is that we become disappointed with Jesus. Because when Jesus is not acting the way we expect him to act in the situation, we become quietly disappointed with him. We, we don't tell everybody in the church that we are disappointed in Jesus and raising our hand. No, just quietly. And the evidence is all there. How do I know I'm disappointed with Jesus? Well, you pray less. Prayerlessness. You just don't pray as you used to. Because you think, why should I pray? The other way, you show it, you stop serving. Perhaps you're so vibrant in the life of the church, all of a sudden you no longer serve as you used to because why? You're quietly disappointed with Jesus. Well, that's a side point, isn't it? The main point here is that the disciples' fear is very specific here. We can talk about general fears, but this is a very specific fear they have. They're fearing that they're really going to die. Let's go back to verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are dying? Now, animals do not hold funerals. It's a matter of fact. Animals do not hold funerals. Every living thing dies, but only human beings die with a ceremony. Why is that? Because unlike the rest of creation, we see the horror of death. You see, our fear of death takes many forms. Now, I just did here this evening. You may not have thought about it. You may think, actually, I probably don't fear death. I don't fear death. But actually, if you think about death very much in the way, the fear, we, actually, we should speak of the fears of death. They come in many shapes and forms. Some of us fear how we might die. The disciples here are fearing dying by drowning. Some of us fear dying by being knifed, like that guy was knifed recently at random in somewhere in a train station. Some of us fear like that, just walking, somebody knifes us and we're dead. How are we write that? We fear dying by cancer. We see loved ones we know who have got cancer and we say, I would never want to die through that process. So we have such fears about how we may die. Some of us fear, some of us, our fear of death takes the form of the fear in the hardship we may live behind for our loved ones. If I die today, who will take care of my child? If I die today, who will take care of my husband? If I was to die today, who will pay my debts? We have such fears about death. Many people, even believers, they have a different kind of fear about death. The, the fear that most of people have is a fear of final judgment. What will it be like to die and face a holy and righteous God on judgment day? You know, God is so holy 
And I, when I think about God, I think God is so holy and I treat him every day like he's an obi. In the Bible, people who love God seem to be more serious about him than I am. I'm speaking for myself here. That worries me sometimes. I have such fear of facing a holy and righteous God. All of us have different fears about death. So humanly speaking, we understand, I understand why Peter and Co are fearing for their lives. Uh, they would rather live. As Solomon says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now I don't know as you sit here this evening what fears about death you, you have, what fears come to mind. There are others actually than just the three I mentioned. But whatever fear of death you have, here is the wonderful news in this passage. And it is this, Jesus delivers us from the fear of death. The first truth is that sometimes we fear for our lives. That's point number one. The good news is that Jesus delivers us from the fear of death. Let's rejoin the disciples. So the disciples have taught Jesus to get up, get up, do something. What is Jesus going to do? Let's look at this 39. And the walk and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still I just want to quickly point out that the word for rebuke here uh, is the same word used in Mark chapter 1 verse 25 when Jesus rebukes the demons so what we're seeing here is that uh, it may tell us something about the wind but I think what it's simply telling us is that Jesus is censuring the wind is using a strong term. The way I see this is like this. It's like Jesus has been sleeping, deep sleeping. And he's been, he's been waking up. And he's just like, perhaps half asleep. He's like, oh, peace be still. It's like the wind is disturbing him. You're ruining my sleep here. And he just tells it, peace be still. He's told it off. Be still and stay still. The wind is misbehaving. And we are told here the winds and the waves immediately obey him. Look at verse 39, now it finishes. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Everything is dead calm. With a single word. And this is important, that we've left this truth already in our study of Mark, in Mark during Bible study. It is this, Jesus here is acting in our world only as God would act. This miracle, like all miracles, testifies to the person. It testifies to two things. The first thing is it testifies to the person of Jesus. Who is he? Who is he? It's answering that question. Because though Jesus, and you need to note this, that though Jesus is doing his miracles as a man fully dependent on God the Spirit, his miracles themselves are meant to point us to his person as God living among us. To put it another way, the, the miracles of Jesus are showing that Jesus is a man acting with full authority as God the Son in the power of God the Spirit. But these miracles do not just teach us about who Jesus is. They also teach us about what Jesus has come to do. And that is what is often so missed when we look at this narrative in the gospel. There are many sermons about who the person of Jesus is. 
but we need to also keep in touch with the work of Jesus. Because you see, this is the important thing with miracles. The miracles not only point to the person, but also their road signs pointing us to the destination. What is the destination? The work of Jesus on the cross for us. And therefore, the question we must ask is, how does this miracle point us to the work of Jesus on the cross? Well, this miracle in particular teaches us that Jesus has come to deliver us from the fear of death. Straightforward. Jesus has come to deliver us from the fear of death. Because that's what the disciples are afraid of. Isn't it in verse 39? And they walk him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, that we are dying? They are worried that they might die, they might physically die. And Jesus here intervenes to prevent physical death. But not just physical death. Because physical death is not just the problem that we face. No, our physical death points to a larger problem of death we have. Whenever you think about death, realize that death is a symptom of a larger problem. And the larger problem we have is that sin has cut us off from the very life of God. It has cut us off from Him. And so all of us are dead, not just, we don't just die physically, we are already dead. Sometimes I say, think of World War Z. Think of the zombies. Human beings are like that. We are the living dead. Because we are already dead. We are already spiritually dead. Cut off from the life of God. And so by Jesus doing this miracle of rescuing the disciples from the threat of physical death, he is symbol- that is, this is a symbolism. He is symbolizing that he will let what he will later do on the cross. On the cross later, he will rescue us from death forever. All who trust in Jesus. Jesus has come to free us from death by Jesus. It's so amazing. He's come to free us from death by Jesus, we might say, entering the sleep of death. He enters the sleep of death. It's much the same way he's sleeping on that boat. He enters the sleep of death, not for a brief period, but for three days. And he's awakened by the Father, so to speak, after three days. Or by the Spirit of God. He gives us new life as he works up from death. And that's what Jesus has accomplished for us. This, this, this sleeping in the boat and working up is pointing us to that amazing work on the cross when he dies for three days and then he's working up to give us new life. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 to 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? We are baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from death from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What, what Paul is saying there and what we see in Mark is that if you're trusting in Jesus, you do not have to fear physical death. Because all death is defeated in Jesus. As Athanasius, one of the church fathers said, death is like a tyrant who has been conquered by the legitimate monarch. Bound hand and foot, the passers-by sneer at him, hitting and abusing him. 
no longer afraid of his cruelty because of King Jesus who has conquered him. If you are in Jesus this evening, you don't need to fear death because our Lord Jesus now owns death. So now you can face life every day with courage. With true courage. Now, it is the fourth century. John Chrysostom is brought before the Empress Eudoxia. She is threatening him with banishment if he keeps preaching Jesus. John Chrysostom says to the Empress, You cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. The Empress looks at Chrysostom and says, But I'll kill you. Chrysostom says, No, you cannot. For my life is hidden with Christ in God. The Empress says, I'll take away your treasures. John Chrysostom says, No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. The Empress looks at Chrysostom and says, Look, I will drive you away from your friends and you have no one left. John Chrysostom says to the Empress, No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. John Chrysostom understood that if you are in Jesus, your physical death is an entrance into God's presence. Jesus has conquered death for us. And friends, this truth should take away not just your fear of death, but all fears you have about life in 2019. Jesus is with us in death and in life. So we must entrust our full lives to Jesus. And this is just the final lesson we learn in this event. Lesson number one. Sometimes we fear for our lives. The good news is that Jesus delivers us from the fear of death. So how then should we respond? The final truth. We must trust Jesus with our lives. Let's rejoin the disciples there. As soon as the wind and waves stop, Jesus turns to his disciples. And we can tell by his words, he's not impressed with these guys. He's not impressed with their attitude. Look at verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, <laughs> I was asking myself, if, I was in the, if I'm in a boat with these guys, I've seen the storm. Jesus has stopped it. And then he turned to me and said, Chola, why are you afraid of the storm, I guess, is the question. I wondered how, would, how, how I would answer that if I was in Peter's shoe, or not Judas's shoe, but Andrew's shoe, right? How would I answer that? Probably that would be like, faith? <laughs> Am I supposed to have faith in this storm? I mean, I would, I would find Jesus' question quite shocking, actually. I mean, you're about to die, so I, humanly speaking, I can see where these guys are coming from. When I think about what the disciples have just experienced, Jesus' tone here initially sounds kind of ash. Because the storm is quite raging, you're about to die. But is it ash? Well, the answer is no, because true faith in Jesus is intimate and personal. What Jesus here is expressing is that he's hurt by their lack of faith. Because you see, friends, if I say to my wife, I have faith in you, 
What am I communicating? I am saying, I trust you. I rely on you. I love you. I depend on you. That's what we mean when you say, when, when, if I was to say to my wife, I have faith in you. And in the same way, to have faith in Jesus means I have a living, dynamic relationship of trust and love in Jesus. The disciples don't have this in Jesus. And Jesus here obviously feels like he has earned their trust. He has been with them. He has chosen them from obscurity. They have seen his power. He has loved. He has cared for them. They should trust him, period. And I think they probably think they do. Up to now, they probably thought they trusted Jesus. But the storm has proved that otherwise. I mean, there's a side point here that we think we're all right in Jesus until something happens. Then we realize how much we have to grow in Christ. That's why storms are there for, to expose our need for growth. But that's a different point. The point here is that they think that they are okay and this storm is just an exception. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't trust me at all. Why, how can Jesus be so confident? Well, he's confident not only because he's God, but he's confident because they don't really know him. Faith is always based on what we know. They don't know yet who Jesus is. And that's obvious from verse 41. Look at verse 41, our final verse. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? I think that's a, perhaps the most powerful question in all of Scripture, isn't it? It's a wonderful question. But it's also a question that reveals that they have a new fear now. They are fearing Jesus. They think Jesus is some sort of spiritual nuclear bomb that they are carrying on board. Notice there's no mention here of the disciples bowing down in worship. They're just terrified of him now. They're worried. What are we smuggled on board, so to speak? Who is this guy we are with? They're not thinking that the God of love is standing in front of of them. No. In fact, we'll see that until, until they see Jesus die on the cross for them, until Jesus rises from the dead, until the Spirit of God is actually comes down on them in power, the disciples' faith, though it will be growing, it will still struggle until they fully get to know and really understand Him. We're going to have a whole session around that, sermons around that. But here's the thing. If Jesus expects them to have faith in him before all of those things, he certainly expects all of us here this evening to trust him today. Because we know all of these things. If you are in Jesus, you know the answer to the question on verse 41. The question is, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you are trusting in Jesus this evening, you know the answer to that. You know Jesus is the all-powerful and all-knowing God. You know he has forgiven you your sin. You know death has been defeated for you. You know that if you are in Jesus, you do not need to fear for your life. You know all of these things. So the question Jesus is asking you this evening is right there in verse 40. Look at verse 40. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? 
Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He's saying to you this evening, you have me. Why are you so afraid of death? I am in the boat of life. I know what lies beyond the grave. Why are you so afraid? And he's saying that about other parts of your life as well. He says your fear for your marriage. He's saying, why are you so afraid of your marriage failing? Why are you so worried? Do you not believe that no matter what happens in your marriage, I am here to take care of you? He's saying to you, why are you so afraid for your job and your career in the future? Why are you worried? Don't you know that I, I own everything? The gold and the silver is mine. He's looking at your worry about your children and other things, and he's saying, why are you so afraid for your children? Why are you so worried about how they may grow in this world? Do you love them more than I do? And he looks at us in the church. Why are you so afraid for the church? Have you no faith? I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I am doing a marvelous work. He looks at our worry for the country we are in as we enter a very difficult year. Why are you afraid for the country? I'm still on the throne. So the, the, the application this evening is very simple. If we have come to that point of completely surrendering to Christ, Jesus is asking us this question. Why are you so afraid? And we know our deepest fears. Have you still, don't miss the second part of that. Have you still no faith? Are you still wallowing in unbelief? Are you still trying to live your life on your own apart from me? So this evening, bring all your fears to Jesus. Name them before him. Jesus is so patient with us, isn't he? He's so patient with you in Christ. He loves you deeply. So go to him boldly. As the Puritan Steve says, Jesus is a meek king. He is a king of fearful and afflicted persons. As Jesus has beams of majesty, and he has beams of majesty, so he has a heart of mercy and compassion for us. So can I encourage you this evening to go to him. Ask him not only to increase your faith in him, but also to give you, this is crucial, to give you a deep desire to read, listen, and believe the promises of his word. Final footnote. Go back to verse 35. I hope you notice this. Because you see, the disciples would have saved themselves a lot of stress if they had simply believed the first thing Jesus says here while they are on the side of Capernaum. Look at verse 35. On that day, when evening came, when evening had come, he said to them, what did he say? Let us go across to the other side. Let us go across to the other side. 
He had promised he would get them there. He knew what he was talking about. And this is the promise he gives to all his true followers. No matter what life throws at you, Jesus has the last word about what happens to you. So in 2019, make a commitment to hear, believe his word, to trust him, the word of God, the word of Jesus, the Bible. And I think if you do that, in fact, I know if you do that, you will grow in trusting Jesus with your life. Not just in death, but also in life, in the here and now. Amen.